Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 381 with Sulaima Gurani. Sulaima has a world of perspective when it comes to living with dignity and finding your talent and building a career around that. So you'll learn one, the mother of all values, two, three steps for zeroing in on your true talent, and three, how and why to clearly distinguish your wish between what you enjoy versus what you're good at. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F381. And here's Sulaima's story. Sulaima is a TED Talks mentor and works with corporate clients and world leaders as a World Economic Forum expert in behavioral science and education. She's a two-time author and speaks on the topics of change management, career development, leadership, entrepreneurship, global trade, emotional intelligence, and much more. Everything she does always serves a common purpose to create more innovators, critical thinkers, and problem solvers, more peace in the world. So thanks to Sulaima for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Sulaima. Sulaima, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. What an honor. I'm really, really thankful. Oh, well, thank you. I'm thankful too. Well, I wanted to start by hearing something interesting about yourself. Now, I understand that you don't ever drive cars and only use your bike, even if you're going to like very formal places all dressed up. What's the story here? So I got my driver's license, of course, when I was 18. That's usually the age of driver license in Scandinavia, where I am from. Uh, I, I believe my first trip, uh, in my new car, uh, was not so success, successful. Sorry. Uh, I destroyed the car completely. Yeah. Ah, first trip. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, uh, and then I, then a few months later, I drove a car again and I had another accident and I've had a few accidents, three or four accidents in my life. And I kind of just decided, you know what, maybe this driving is just not a thing. So, so you know what I did? I, I simply hired a driver. My first paycheck uh, when I became independent in 2007, the first thing I did was I, I actually did hire a driver, a personal driver. In my country, it's the prime minister and the queen. They have drivers. Normal people don't. But that was my one of my first hiring. That was a driver. So I could make more money and I was more efficient and I didn't have to think about you know, accidents and stuff. So, so when I had to pick my next country to live in, I actually looked where I could be sure that there would be Uber drivers. And, uh, so I picked Austin, Texas, but very shortly after I moved there, they forbid 
uh, Uber. Oh, wow. So I was really devastated because I need my ride, right? Uh -huh. So I moved to California and I can get an Uber within a few minutes. So Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. you know, I thought you were going to hire a driver at Austin as well. <laughs> no, I did not. I, and I ended up not doing that, but I moved to uh, California, Palo Alto, uh, in Silicon Valley, um, Uh, earlier this year and uh, I can get a, a, a ride within a few minutes. And I kid you not, it's on my top three reason to pick a city. Well, you know, good weather and uh, international uh, environment. So the three things that I look for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I dig that. And I could relate in terms of the connectedness of a city to certain resources really matters. Like we've gotten rather accustomed to having our groceries delivered with Instacart. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I use Instacart as well. I'm on Amazon every day. Everything are being delivered to my home. I don't go shopping anymore. I get everything delivered. And I have to say I'm so much more productive. And I tip really well. So I believe I'm supporting the gig economy in a positive way for people who need the job more than I do. And so I think it's a win-win. Remember, I am from a country where we don't have Amazon. We don't have Instacart. We don't have all those things. So for me, living here is like, it is really like paradise because I can spend time on the things I really care about. Uh, doing my sport, work, and be with my kids. So I don't waste my time on doing shopping or grocery shopping. I'd rather sit in a library reading and studying for my next book than going shopping. Mm -hmm. Well, so I want to hear about the fruits of this tremendous productivity. You've won numerous awards for being inspirational and a great thinker and just being a great force for good in the world. I'd like to hear a little bit about how do you keep motivated and inspired such that you just continue to do these things? First of all, you become the average of the people you spend time with, right? So I grew up as a very lonely child. Uh, I was the only immigrant. I was the only brown child. Everyone was white. Uh, and I grew up uh, surrounded by middle class families. And we were very Uh, we were broke most of my life. My parents were simply broke. So we grow up kind of poor, brown. So I felt very lonely. And I remember for the first 10, 15 years of my life, the only thing I wanted was to be with exciting people, uh, be inspired. Uh, so all my life, I've been looking for my tribe, you know, people who are upstanders, change makers, uh, inspirational people who activists, you know, people who do stuff. I'm not so inspired by people that live comfortable lives. You know, I need people who, who put themselves on the edge. And so most of my life, uh, I've spent most of my money traveling. I've worked and been and lived in 35 countries now. So what keeps me motiva motivated is to see and to understand what is going on in the world. So for instance, if I want to understand the conflict in Israel, I go to Israel. If I want to understand what's going on in Saudi Arabia, I go to Saudi Arabia. If I want to understand the pollution situation, I will go to Mongolia. Or if I want to understand the political situation in Russia, I go to Russia. I wouldn't use the term lucky, but instead of buying expensive furniture or even an expensive bag, I've spent all my money on traveling. And the more I travel, funny enough, the more money I make because the more um, knowledge and inspiration I bring back to my home country, wherever that might be, or the more um, authentic stories I can put into my books or in my, or in my talks, right? So kind of what I, when I do what I love, Uh, I'm more successful. So, and I've never been drawn to stability. I've never found it very fancy to have a life based on routines. 
I don't need much. I need a bed. Uh, I need my toothbrush. I need my husband that I've been together with for, oh gosh, 25 years. Uh, and my kids, everything else doesn't matter. I can live in a one bedroom apartment even now if like, I don't need much. I just need to travel and, and write about what I see. Uh, so that's keep, that keeps me motivated by traveling the world and see what is going on. I'm a tremendous advocate for uh, doing things. Uh, so I cannot just sit and see the news. I need to go out there. So in a way, I'm documenting what is happening in the world. And I look at the world as a mom, as a young solopreneur, entrepreneur, investor, and as a speaker. So I think that's my life. That's I don't have a job, you know. It's My life is my job. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And even just in preparing for this interview, it's like, well, I know you got some real useful things to say about being awesome at your job, even though your sort of life is your job in your instance. So it was like, but where shall I focus and prioritize? So, I mean, we'll see (laughs) what we get into. But one thing I was intrigued with is you've got a real message associated with all people having dignity and, you know, realizing that dignity and that value. Can you unpack some of those ideas for us? Yeah. So I'm sorry to say, but there has been done a lot of research showing that most people grow up, live their lives without living accordingly to their core values, meaning they get lost, uh, they find it difficult to focus, they don't know what is what is a good chance and what is the right chance, they might spend their, their money wrongly, their time, their energy is wrong, and they might feel kind of lost in life, you know, and they end up having a job they don't like. And they might even end up working for a manager they don't trust or don't like. That's not a life worth living. So um, so I've spent uh, more than half of my life trying to find out how to connect people with, with their uh, core values. And one of the values that I think is the number one you can call, you, you might call it the mother of all values. It's dignity, dignity. I mean, dignity is everything, right? I mean, you cannot, you cannot give your dignity away. I mean, you, no one can take, take it from you, but you can give it away. So I've spent a fair amount of time of my life traveling the world, building and supporting the message of dignity. Um, and I'm on the global board of, uh, of an organization called Global Dignity, of course. And we educate kids uh, in, ele- not elementary, but uh, uh, college and, and universities and graduates uh, in how to live a more dignified life. And I believe by sending them out uh, in life with a great amount of understanding what it means to live a dignified life and how to treat other people with dignity will, will, will in the end create world peace, right? So I take it one by one and I I kind of transform people, young people's life by having that conversation. What does it mean to live a dignified life? Because if you have that strong feeling of dignity, you don't get into these maybe troubles, partnerships, relationships. You might not stay in a job Hmm. but you're not appreciated. That's a lot of things you don't do if you have a strong feeling and appreciation of your own dignity. So that drives everything I do, I have to say. I'm super passionate about it, yeah. Well, yeah, that's intriguing there in terms of, you're right, I, I think that there are, <laughs> you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about being in relationships that you shouldn't, <laughs> is this comedian, Dane Cook. This joke is years old now. 
And they're talking about someone in a bad relationship. It's like, you should just get out of there. Just get out of that relationship. They say, well, it's not that simple, Karen. My CDs are in his truck. And I I just still tickles me to this day is that we all have all sorts of reasons that your CDs being in someone's truck, if you still have CDs, you know, is not a very good one. So, well, let's hear it then. Could you define for us what do you mean by dignity and acting in a dignified manner? And how do we kind of build that up? if you're lacking in that right now? So first of all, dignity is a universal feeling, right? I mean, dignity is the same in in Sri Lanka as it is in Palo Alto. It's the same, you know? Uh, It's the way you treat yourself, the the way you think about yourself and the way you behave towards other people. And dignity is a very strong, deep and profound feeling. So for instance, if someone, if if you're in the schoolyard and some kids undress you and run away with your clothing and you're standing naked in the schoolyard, right? That's a very undignified situation. Or if someone spits you in the face or hit you or steal something from you or say something to you, or like that's a lot of everyday, everyday actions. You might not hold the door for a older woman that is coming just after you, or you might not help someone crossing the streets, even though you can see he or she needs the help. Like there's a lot of activities throughout the day where you can easily improve your own feeling of living a more dignified life, but also improving others. So I'm enforcing to think dignity in everything, how you communicate, written, verbally, actions, education, school, work, everywhere. It's about really um, treating others as we should right? Uh, bring more love, hope, light, uh, the more positive feelings, understanding, sympathy. Um, tolerance is a very difficult word because I don't want people to tolerate each other. Tolerate, tolerate, tolerance is not a strong word. It's not a good word, right? I, I mean, if I tolerate you means I don't like you, but I, I need to have you in the room with me, right? That's not a good feeling. But I want people to, to start understanding that we are different Every single time you meet a person in school, in church, uh, at work, wherever you are, that person has been through a lot of things that makes it and turns that person into being that person that he or she is. And we should we should show each other some more patience, right? Because uh, it's it's a tough life for many people, and when we lose it, right? When you when you when you lose it, sometimes uh, we should uh, try to meet other people with a great amount of understanding that this has been a tough day or it's a tough life or so I I want to improve the understanding not the tolerance but the deep deep understanding that we are different and everyone deserves a really good life a good life is you know I just a small thing when I walk down the street I smile at people right and if I'm in Asia they think I'm super weird right Mm. Why is she smiling? So that doesn't work everywhere. But mostly in the U.S., it's a good strategy just to smile at people in the streets. And the feeling I'm left behind with is extreme happiness. And I can see that the people I'm smiling at, you know, it's just a small smile, right? People get so happy. And I know that's a small action of dignity. But I try to implement it in everything I do. Like if I helping, helping, helping if I can help. And it does spread. The good thing is my actions in the morning will impact the people I smiled or helped in the morning, their actions later on in the day. So I'm spreading good karma. Mm-hmm. Well, this is intriguing. And thinking back to a previous episode we had with Kimberly White, who yeah. talked about just the power of seeing people as people. And this is kind of resonating mm-hmm. with some of those messages and, and the difference it makes. So when you say dignity, you mentioned that it is 
a strong, deep, profound feeling. If I had to put you on the spot and ask for your one to two sentence dictionary style definition, you know, it's like dignity is this. Uh, Self-acceptance and love, if you ask me. Okay, gotcha. So self-acceptance and love. And so then when you don't have dignity, you either don't think you're worth much or deserve to be treated well in in your job. And uh, you mentioned a romantic relationship and in other contexts. One of your theses, it sounds like, is that if you treat other people with respect, acceptance, and love, you sort of bolster within yourself your own strength to expect, demand, you know, not tolerate, not being treated in, in that sort of a way. Is that fair? Yeah, it's 100% fair. And you know, it's easy to sit and talk about on this podcast, but you know that the true challenge is really to live out your own values because it's it can be difficult to find your values one of them being dignity, of course, but to live out your values, because you know what? You have to sit down with your mom, your sister, maybe a colleague, maybe even your manager and and tell that person, you know, I need to tell you how I want to be treated. You know, let me tell you how I'm motivated, how I can be a compassionate sister or brother, or let me explain how I function. This is the way I want you to treat me. And then you will explain why fairness or freedom or whatever. It's, you know, there's a million different words to, to can describe the values that you might represent, but maybe you pick out four to explain. Uh, one thing is to find them yourself. Secondly is to understand them. Thirdly, start communicating them to others Four, to implement them and and kind of make people understand that these are my values. And if you don't live up to those values, if you don't treat me this way, we will have to talk about leaving each other or stopping or, you know, so it's very difficult for people because I think most people want to pleasure others. Um, And um, it's troubling because we end up in jobs and relationships and all those things where we feel that is not based on what is truly good for me, but good for someone else. And it should be good for someone else, but we're losing ourselves. And when we're losing ourselves, we get depressions, suicidal. We need to drug and drink and I don't know, overdo things. Uh, and we have a, a big issue. Uh, people are, have never been more depressed, n- never been more medicated, never more lonely, never more self-hate. Uh, I live in Silicon Valley where our young people are killing themselves. We don't get it, right? They have money, future, you know, they have most things that we desire in life and yet they kill themselves. So it's really a problem that is universal. And um, we cannot create the growth, the prosperity, the happiness uh, if we don't fix this first. I mean, it's very hard to think about environmental issues or refugee crisis or whatever if you can't even get up in the mornings and go to job and function. Or So we need to fix the problems first. And I, it's very basic but if you can if you can give that compass to people a deep understanding of what it means to live a dignified life if you can give that educate people on just that one value i promise you a lot of things will be easier in the future okay well so then when it comes to the education and the development of living a dignified life you know we talked about treating others with dignity as sort of one key way that happens and what are some others so first of all finding your true talent is not that easy either. Um, we still have a very fixed mindset in the education system. I'm not blaming the educators because 
honestly speaking, I'm married to a teach, teacher myself. It's not an easy job. Um, but, um, finding, um, finding out what is my true talent is really difficult because the traditional system, education system has a certain way of looking and describing what is a talent. It can be like intelligence. What is it? What is the right intelligence? What is, what is a good job? What is the right job? And as we speak, I'm writing on my next book, um, that is kind of, I hope mapping what the future is going to look like until 2040. And I'm looking at into what kind of jobs that will disappear and which jobs that will come or be created. And uh, we need more people to understand, to find their talents and be more creative about how can their talent, everyone has a talent, everyone has a talent, but not, not a lot of people think that their talent can be transformed into a real job where they can make a real living. So we rather stay in jobs we don't like, that we are not good at, uh, then actually exploring, uh, what could be our blessed future. So the second thing after, after dignity, you know, that should be finding your talent. It's, I think it's a human right, uh, that someone teaches you how to find your talent and it might be a very small talent. It might be almost invisible, right? Super small talent, but even the smallest talent can, can be a job or a way of living. And so when you talk about the finding of the talent and how they could be, you know, super small, invisible. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of what you would call a talent that has been found? Like what's yours, you know, and others, and then the process by which that is discovered. So first of all, I was never told I had a talent. I mean, I'm not that good in school. You know, I was kicked out of school in seventh grade. Uh, I ran away from my parents when I was 13. I lived in the streets. I was in foster care, children's home, institutions. You know, I had a very troubled upbringing. And none of my teachers ever, ever told me I had a talent. Actually, they did the opposite. I still remember when I was in fourth grade, my math teacher, he said, you know, Sulaima, just, you know, you're so ambitious, but, you know, honestly speaking, let me tell you something. You will never be successful in your life. And let me explain why. <laughs> no, he said that, honestly. So wow. I still know my, that my teacher, that teacher's son, I still know him. So it's a, it's a, it's a very well-known story in my home country, Denmark, because it's ridiculous, right? But every day teachers are without even knowing they're killing people's dreams, right? So it happens every day. And, but this teacher told me that I will not reach very far in my life because I was a woman. I'm brown. Uh, and my name was Sulaima, right? And he said, it's never going to be, it's never, it's never going to be a success. Uh, and I left, I left the class. I left my math teacher and I never returned to math. So I had to learn math again, much later in life when I took my MBA. Uh, I could take an MBA because I could pay myself. <laughs> so, so, um, but I was kicked out of school. So I was never told that I had a talent. So of course, this is a, this is a very important matter for me because no one saw mine, right? And I was told I did not have any, and that's not okay. So it's really a principle for me. It's something that I fight for a lot. Uh, I've spent thousands of hours teaching teachers how to look for talents they have never seen before. Because honestly speaking, how can you recognize a talent you have never seen before? Mm -hmm. No, but really, and, yeah. and in, the, in the future, we don't know what talents we need, right? I mean, I'm a mom. I have a nine-year-old and I have an 11-year-old son, a nine-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. How can I ever be a good 
mentor for them in the future because I have no clue about what future they are going to be growing up in. And all the things I've learned, I learned them in a different time. So we need to give people that framework and understanding that by knowing their talents and by working on mental health, health as such, a love for learning, they will always be okay. They will always be okay. There's no such thing as a stable, secure future for none of us, actually. So talents are really difficult to see, especially if you've never seen them before. So my talent, really, um, I was told by a teacher when I was 16 that he could see I had a talent. And he said, your emotional intelligence is very, very strong. This was way before I even knew there was anything such called emotional intelligence. I didn't know. But he he didn't say anything about my IQ. He just said, your emotional intelligence is very strong. And I can totally see you become a leader in the future. And I looked at him and I said, honestly, I dedicated my TEDx talk to him afterwards, many, many years after, because it did. it was really a crucial moment for me that someone said I had a talent. I was never told such, right? So, and he said, I can totally see that you will be a leader in the future. You, you, you alone will change the way we look at leaders. And I couldn't believe it. I was 16 and I've never seen a woman in a management position at that point, right? It didn't exist in my town. It didn't exist really not in my country. Uh, we only had a very few women in politics and CEOs didn't exist as women. You know, Denmark was at that point in time, very traditional, still is. Uh, and I wasn't inspired, but he said, you, you will be that. And I, I meditated on that for many, many, many years after. And as you say, you know, I've been nominated and, and received so many awards now as the leader of the future, but I didn't know how to get there. Right. I just thought about it. That's what I want to be. I just didn't know how to get there. But today I am, they, th- they say I am the leader, uh, not only of the future, but a leader to be, uh, looked up to. And I'm a woman and I'm Brown and my name is still Sulaima. So I think that's, that's really that's really the good thing about the story. Uh-huh. I've seen other people's talents. Like I have a friend who who really wasn't good at much. And uh, he was only good at, at gaming, right, in front of his computer. He was quite old at this time, like in his late 30s. His wife was very unhappy with him. And he said, you know what, I have to find out how to make gaming into my living because that's the only thing I love. And he started thinking about developing games. And now he's one of the most successful gamers in the world. He lives in France. He's a millionaire. Um, I have another friend who said, you know, there's nothing I'm really good at. The only thing I really enjoy is tasting chocolate. You know, chocolate is the only thing I know of, you know, it's my pleasure. He developed one of the biggest chocolate companies in Europe uh, later on, you know. So even the, the smallest talent that might be, you know, gaming and chocolate, I think most people can relate to those things, right? And uh, they build themselves careers on that. And so what is sort of the process or key questions you ask or the means by which you, you know, explore and zero in on, aha, this is the thing? First of all, you have to be honest to yourself. Is this my talent? Is this really what I'm good at? And then sometimes you are really disappointed, right? Because you might say to yourself, is this it? Is this the only thing I'm good at? And then what's really important is you don't get depressed, right? If you realize the only thing you like is chocolate, right? Some people will say that's really... I mean, honestly, that's not a, that can never be a job or how can that be your skill? Then you have to be honest to yourself and really believe that this can be a job. If you are, if you enjoy chocolate, you should then start understanding more about chocolate, right? And become an expert in that field and, and think how that can be a job. Either you create a job 
or you get a job where you work with that talent that you have found. So first thing is to find it. Second is to accept it. Thirdly is to be creative and find out how you can build either a job or a portfolio or whatever around that talent. And it might be a very small talent. And that's where people usually get disappointed with themselves because still a lot of people think that they should be good at something like numbers, uh, coding, leadership, uh, you know, something big. Uh, but our talents might be very, very small and, and we, we might not even know it's a talent. And so, and it's not always easy to find your talent because if you ask people, what is my talent? They might not see it either, right? Because how will they know it's a talent? So I was told, um, later on in my life, I was told that, um, so I was laid off from my job in 2007 and I was pregnant and I couldn't get a job because no one employs pregnant women, not even in Scandinavia. And I had no choice but to create my own business. And I decided to become a consultant because I knew I was good in selling. I knew I had some core skills in education of educate, uh, to educate salespeople in selling and like basic skills from my old job. And, um, and then, um, some of my clients hired me and my old employer hired me back. I was laid off. Right. And when I asked my employer, Hey, you lay me off, but you hire me back as a consultant. It does not make sense. And my HR manager said, you know, Sulaima, we like you and we think you're so great. Um, we really love to have you as a consultant and we pay you a lot of money as a consultant, but we also pay you a lot of money to make sure that you walk out of the door again. And, uh, I never understood what she meant, but she meant that I'm super, I'm brilliant. I'm good at what I'm doing, but I cannot stay too long because I'm also very irritating. So (laughs) (laughs) and being irritating is really a great skill as a consultant because you're being paid for being annoying, right? That's right. This thing you keep ignoring, stop (laughs) ignoring it. It's very, very important. It's like, stop talking about this. It's not fun for us to deal with this. (laughs) So as an employer, it doesn't really work, right? Because if you are employed, people don't like it. If you are a consultant, you can... You can uh, ask them to pay 10 times as much per hour and you do the exact same thing as you did when you were, when you were employed. But then at that time they didn't like it. So I found out that I'm irritating and I, I totally built my brand about being controversial, irritating, straight to the point, cut through a uh, cutthroat, um, way of delivering messages. And so I created a great brand as a consultant because I was just me, right? I was just me. Like mm-hmm. I am. So I didn't have to change anything. I just had to change position from being at one side of the table just by going to the other side of the table. I, I, yeah, I became, yeah, this recognized leader. So it was only half a meter, right? That I had to change my position, but how, how would I know? Right. So being laid off was really my blessing. I, I didn't think it was my blessing. I was very, very sad and almost depressed about being laid off, being pregnant. That was really a low point in my life, but it was really not a low point. It was my starting point, but I didn't know that at that time. You talk about the finding of your talent process. You zeroed in on the examples of the chocolate and the gaming, and those are things that they really like to do. I'm curious, is there a distinction between something that you just enjoy doing versus something that you're actually good at? And how do you think about those waters? Oh yeah. Let me give you an example. So a few years ago, I met uh, musician and I, she's a very uh, famous, uh, violinist. 
uh, artist and I was sitting next to her and I asked her, so, oh my goodness, it must be amazing to live from what you do. I mean, art must be the, a blessing, right? I can only imagine being, li- make a living out of your art must be the best thing in the world. I thought, and she looked at me and said, no, I absolutely hate playing my violin, but that's the only thing I'm good at. But she's famous and she's extremely talented. You can be very good at something, very good at something and not enjoying it. Um, well, you can be enjoying doing something really, really a lot, but not being good at it. So those things are not related at all. I mean, it's a miracle when you're good at what you're doing and you enjoy doing what you're doing. So, you know, that's a miracle. And most people never find that. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but your talent can can be something you don't enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Understood. Okay. So you're looking for both of those things to line up and then to build the job, the career, the money maker, however, whatever format it takes around it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of thinking as a job, as something that is kind of something you go to and you leave in the night. I, I'm more into a lifestyle. I'm more into a portfolio of things that you're doing. So for instance, I'm an author two days a week, right? I'm always working on a book. I try to publish books every year. Uh, so I'm an author two times a week. I'm a speaker two times, two times uh, a week, right? Somewhere in the world. And then I have one one day at home with my kids or I'm having board meetings. Uh, and then during the weekend, I might do interviews or something else. So the thing is, I have a portfolio of things I do. I'm not only a writer or a speaker or an investor or a board member. I'm all of those things. So uh, saying you can be good at a lot of things and you can enjoy do a lot of things. And the thing is, is really to combine those things and design your own life designing your life as it should be where you spend time. And then it's okay to do something you're not really enjoying doing two times a week, because that's okay. If you can spend three or four days doing something you like uh, for the rest of the time, it's perfect, right? So I'm, I'm I'm more thinking of life design. How do you want your life to look like? I don't mind that people have a job they don't like three times a week, if that means that they have three or four days during the week, they can do something else. For instance, if you like let me give you an example. So one of my daughter's teachers, she's an amazing teacher, elementary teacher. She works three, two days a week, maybe three days a week. And she's, she's having two days off per week. She lives near the ocean. I'm in California, right? And she's a semi-professional surfer. So mm. her trade-off is I'm an elementary school teacher three days a week. And then the two other days of the week, I do my surfing. That's a brilliant, brilliant example of a great life design right? So I think it's about finding what makes sense for you. And you only have one life, I believe. So to say, that's the only thing I can prove at least. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's about getting the most out of it. And I don't mind working hard. And sometimes you also have to do things you don't like, because it's a way of gaining skills. It's a way of making a living, making money, save, invest, uh, I don't believe in throwing what you have in your hands and jump into a new career because it's more shiny or more interesting. You should be careful because you will be jeopardizing your money and your investments and your time and maybe even your family. So make smart decisions. And I like life design because it's a more responsible way of designing your life. And most of us can tolerate a lot of pain, even a job we don't like. If we know we're doing it because we want to build gain knowledge, money, whatever, to really do what we like, what we like 
doing in our life later. So I don't, I don't, I don't judge people if they do something they don't like. I just want them to realize they don't like it and they must have a reason why they're staying there. Mm-hmm. Well, understood. Thank you. Well, tell me, Sulaima, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Mm, yeah, I want to say lots of people come to me and say, hey, Sulaima, you know, I always wanted to be this or that, but now I'm too old, right? Or, hey, I'm too young. And I will just say age is really not an excuse. Unless you come and you're 45 and you say to me, I want to be a professional ballet dancer or something, you know, something that is maybe you should have started doing when you were younger. Then there's nothing you cannot do just because you are 45 or 66 or age is just really a number. Um, I have a friend, she always wanted to be a model, but she was not tall enough. She's pretty beautiful, but she's not tall enough. And But she really wanted to be in the fashion world. So she just started being a designer. So she has her own fashion brand. She was recognized as the best designer in Europe not too long ago. And she's like, I don't know, 7, 49, 52, something. I mean, she's, 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 she's mature, right? And she just wanted to be a model, but it was too late and she didn't have the whatever skills you have to need to be a model. So she just found a way for her to be in the fashion world. So I'm saying nothing is too late. You can be a late bloomer and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? <laughs> we are stronger together. Uh, so I believe that everything can be done in the world if you have access to smart people who come who are different than, than yourself. Because very often we say, oh, I cannot do that because I don't have the skills. But it's really not about you. It's about the ones you know. And if you have a really good network that, you, that you've mapped, that you have nurtured, that you know really well, that is more diverse than you, who have competences you don't have yourself, then you have access to the skills you don't know how to do, right? Meaning you can do anything in the world. So I believe we are stronger together. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? <laughs> my my favorite experiment is how to stay focused. I think nowadays you're being tempted so much by social media, things you could do, things you're invited to, things like staying focused and get things done is really something I'm very fan of. And I can see people don't get things done, right? They talk about it, but they don't get it done. So I'm very, um, I'm very motivated and uh, highly interested in understanding how people get things done and, and stick to things. And even when it, when it doesn't look promising or when it's hard, they still keep doing it and focus and get it done. I like that. That's a nice skill. You said there's research there about how it's done that you found compelling and what is it? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Greg, you had him on his show. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, uh, his book is very... Um, Essentialism, Greg McCune. Yeah, exactly. He's a good friend of mine and, and he keeps inspiring to this very day on how to... Because I, I live a life at least where I get invited and tempted to travel, go somewhere all the time or jump on this or be part of this or invest in this. I met him the first time, I believe, in China six years ago. He's been a friend ever since. And he inspired me because he is, as some of your listeners might know if they heard the podcast, he's he's on it, man. He he gets things done and he he don't jeopardize his time or his focus. I'm super inspired by Greg. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book? Oh man, oh, that's a tough one because there's so many friends that I have that have written amazing books. Uh, New Power by Jeremy Hyman is a very good book. I think Giving Work by Lila Jenner is how we improve people's life through the gig economy. 
she's the owner of Sama Sauce, and she wrote an amazing book called Giving Work. Instead of, instead of giving aid and money to people, let's give them a job. How about that? You know, let's 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 make let's teach them how to make a living. So those two books, I think, is New Power and uh, Giving Work. I think that's my two favorite books. Mm-hmm. And is there a favorite tool you use that helps you be awesome at your job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw your question and I've been thinking ever since because what is my most important tool? So I know this might be cheesy, but I will say it anyhow, walking. I walk for one hour every day in the nature and that it gives me the power and the mental focus that I need to be good at my job. So I, I know it's weird. I hope, you know, I wanted to tell you it was an app or something more sexy, but it's really one hour of hiking in the mountains just near my home every day. That gives me the the true um, power of being good at my job. All right. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect, resonate and gets quoted back to you? Yeah. What should it be? Can you give me an example? <laughs> <what's> some... <laughs> well, like um, Greg McEwen, we talked about with essentialism, you know, might mention the closet analogy and say, hey, it's not just a matter of, might I ever wear this sometime? It's a matter of saying, does this garment spark joy? Well, that resonated for me. I was like, wow, yeah, that's really good. Higher standard, you know, does it spark joy? Hmm, no, no, no. I'm able to kind of really quickly, you know, clean through my closet with that higher standard, so. Yeah, I, I have actually. So everything I do, everything I do in my life, I, I measure it out of, does it make me happy? Does it make me more relaxed? Does it improve my economic status? Like, does do I make money out of it? Uh, and fourth, uh, do I improve my skills? And not every decision fulfills those four things, right? Uh, but it makes it clear for me that I can make a decision. Okay, I say yes to this. It's funny, but it's not going to give me any money. I'm not going to learn anything from it, you know? And then I can make quick, good decisions on behalf of if it doesn't make me relaxed, not happy, if it doesn't improve my financial situation, and if I don't learn anything from it, if none of those four things are being met, kind of, right? Then I shouldn't do it. Gotcha. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them to? Hopefully to my homepage and sign up for my newsletters, sulaimat.com. I have had a newspaper for 10 years called Straight Talk. And I, I put myself in those newsletters and uh, I love them. And I put a lot of energy into it then. So if people want to know what I'm doing and if they are inspired, sign up for my newsletter. Mm-hmm. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, really uh, understand the value of your work. If you understand the value of the work you do, then you will like your job more. Uh, no matter what job it is, if you understand the meaning and what it is doing to others, then you will appreciate your job more. And by appreciation, you're going to be more happy. If you're more happy, you're more creative. If you're more creative, you'll be more successful. So it's actually about digging where you stand and start appreciating. I know it's a tough one, this one, but start appreciating where you actually are in life. Mm -hmm. Even if you feel you're at the wrong place, by starting to appreciate you will do your, your brain a big favor that will help you get out of your situation, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, Sulaima, thanks so much for sharing your time and wisdom here. This has been a lot of fun and I wish you lots of luck in all of your next adventures. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really honored. Thank you. I really appreciated Sulaima's connection between how you treat other people with dignity also informs how much you're willing to put up with in your capacity to stand up for yourself and how you will be treated 
And I thought that was just some simple wisdom that made good sense and is a nice little encouragement and inspiration in terms of doing a little extra smiling, a little extra greeting, a little extra listening to folks and how that will come back to you in a positive way. So I hope you dug that uplifting stuff from Sulaima. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F381. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Karen Martin. And Karen is sharing all about clarity, what it is, how you get it, how you lose it, and what to do to bring it back. Until next time, and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 